1: Good morning, dear family. Hello. How are you doing? I pray that you're well. I always pray that um, you see this beautiful picture behind me of our of our church in Beloit. It's absolutely gorgeous, a beautiful church where, uh, I, I've said this a few times, we're putting together our first newsletter since we're in Beloit and that will be on our cover. It's truly, truly beautiful. Now, I know it's not the case with all of you, but those of you who uh, follow um, the traditional calendar um, or maybe both calendars um, of, the, um, of the Catholic Church, um, we are in a first-class octave of Pentecost. And so Pentecost was Sunday, and every single day for eight days is a first-class feast, and it's just wonderful. And so I have been reading an article by Father Francis uh, Wenninger uh, from the 18... I think it's 1897. I'd have to look that back up. Um, Beautiful, beautiful article on Pentecost, how our Lord uh, fulfilled um, uh, at the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, uh, Pentecost, a Jewish holiday, meaning 50. uh, It was seven weeks and one day, 50, which is what Pentecost means after the Passover, um, that they had Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks and the wheat harvest, and all the young men needed to be in Jerusalem. It was also um, the anniversary of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, Simcha's Torah, Torah meaning law, Simcha's rejoicing, rejoicing over the law. And um, and it is when um, it it was considered on Mount Sinai the birthday of Judaism. So on the birthday of Judaism, On the Jewish feast of Pentecost, or that's in Greek and Hebrew, Shavuot, Um, God poured out His Spirit on the thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, speaking all different languages and dialects from their area of the Mediterranean. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Blessed Mother and the disciples in the upper room with visible tongues of fire. And they went out and began to preach, particularly Peter, Acts chapter 2, his magnificent speech to all those people. And even though they spoke different languages, everyone heard Peter and the disciples in their own language. And the the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them with all the seven gifts in full. And um, so we have been reading Uh, what those gifts are, which you know from Isaiah chapter 11, and every confirmation, um, those gifts are studied and talked about and poured out on the people who are confirmed. Um, And then Father Francis went on to explain what would be the fruit in the lives of those who have been confirmed. Um, And I'll back up, uh, let me just see, Uh, I'll back up one paragraph from where we were yesterday. Um, He says, but beloved Christians, uh, and the reason I I mentioned this yesterday is I've recently been to two confirmations, um, both by bishops of their diocese, and half the young people confirmed were dressed, they were half naked uh, in their dress, short skirts up to their thighs, or tight clothes, or it was just all, Awful to see that, to see young people dressed like that, or people of any age dressed like that. Their expressions, their makeup, their jewelry um, had no witness to their faith whatsoever. And I think there's just a handful of those people who may have really believed and understood what confirmation was about and wanted to be confirmed um, the faith has to be taught, dear ones. And parents, it's up to you to teach your children, not to a CCD teacher. Fine if they go to a CCD class, but you need to have them understand what confirmation is and that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and a greater outpouring than they did at their baptism with all the gifts. And now they're going to become soldiers of Christ and the enemy is going to be against them because they're wearing the wrong colors. And now their faith is no longer their parents' faith, but it's their own. And they need to live for God with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul. And if they don't want to do that, they're not ready for confirmation. I mentioned before that I've had parents call and say, my son, my daughter is not interested in confirmation classes or anything. And what do I do? I said, then you don't confirm them that you don't teach children or anybody that, come from, that Catholicism is hypocritical, that they have to lie to be a Catholic and say, yes, I believe this when I don't. That's an awful, awful thing. So no, if someone doesn't want to be confirmed, you don't confirm them. But hopefully they'll be open to learning what confirmation is and then make a decision. Um, Father Francis says, "But beloved Christians, when every portion of the heart is engrossed by self, there can be no thought of faithful perseverance amid the storms and temptations of life. What weighty and all-powerful motives should, should on this glorious day, the birthday of our holy Church—that's Pentecost, of course—inspire us to assemble in spirit?" with the mother of Jesus and the holy apostles and disciples of the Lord as they awaited the descent of the divine spirit. From the very depths of our hearts, let us cry out, Come, Holy Ghost. Replenish our hearts with thy love that its ardent fire may animate our souls. Banish therefrom all aversion to prayer and that spirit of the world which seeks our ruin, banish from our hearts all unrest, faint-heartedness, forgetfulness of the truths of faith, above all of the four last things which await us, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Cast from our hearts the spirit of self-love and lead us through thy sevenfold gifts to love to love God above all, and in Him, all whom He has created for Himself, and so confirm these dispositions in our hearts, that we may become and remain Thy living temples, satisfied through Thy love for all eternity. Amen. And then he quotes our Lord himself who says, For the prince of this world cometh, and in me, that is in Jesus, he hath not anything. Father goes on to say, The Church of God, the kingdom of light, celebrates today on Pentecost the feast of her establishment on earth, of her birthday, for the blessing and benefit of the human race. Although, my dear brethren, all mankind... Have been since the day of creation universally called to honor God, to love and serve Him. The day of creation. Um, excuse me, I'm, I'm repeating that. Since the day of creation, universe, universally called to honor God, to love and serve Him, and He has vouchsafed to them messengers to lead them to the way of salvation. There is, on the other hand, a kingdom of darkness, which opposes the kingdom of light with all its powers. It blinds and endeavors to destroy souls and makes every effort to propagate the kingdom of evil. <clears throat> and I think that kingdom of evil is more evident in our day than perhaps perhaps through all of history, beloved. Father Francis writes, The prince of the realm of light Um, is the ruler of the region of darkness. I'm sorry, the prince of the realm of light is Christ. The ruler of the realm of darkness is Satan. The latter, Satan, is fittingly styled by the fathers, the ape of God. I know I read this yesterday. I'm sorry, we're just going to review a little bit here. The latter, Satan, is fittingly styled by the fathers, the ape of God. And daring to look with an envious eye upon the honor which belongs to the Lord, he seeks to attract a similar homage to himself, knowing well that God works in the most efficacious manner to attain the end for which he created man. Satan tries to imitate him, Christ, in his plans, not for the welfare, but for the damnation of souls. He leaves nothing untried to accomplish this darling project, seeking continually new victims to draw into his toils, hardening their hearts and leading their souls to perdition as the Holy Ghost seeks by the characteristic gifts which he imparts to confirm the good in all that is pure and holy. So does Satan endeavor, through gifts of an entirely opposite nature, to confirm the bad in everything vile and wicked. Today we will consider this diabolical confirmation and the seven gifts which strengthen those who receive it in everything bad. O Mary, dearest of mothers, obtain for us grace to secure our salvation while God grants us time for the work. I speak in the most holy name of Jesus for the greater honor and glory of God. I am repeating some of yesterday's reading, beloved, um, but I know there's a number of people Who weren't able to be with us and i uh this is so important we could read it every day we'll be back right after the break and at the second break we'll take your calls your emails and your texts with anything on your heart the toll-free number in advance is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at com.
2: love learning more about the church but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true.
1: Um this is our, um, let me see our next fifteen minutes, we're going to continue reading our um, our article from Pentecost, and then at the second break, we'll after the second break, we'll take your calls, your emails, and your um, and your text. Maybe I'll break in right now and mention to you that um, next week, all of next week, I will be at uh, and giving a talk at the Sacred Liturgy Conference in Spokane, Washington. I'm trying to bring it up on my computer so I can give you all the information because there's still time to register. If anyone's in that area wants to fly out, um, uh, there's still time to register for it. Uh, A host of wonderful speakers, and the theme is the Incarnation. Um, My talk is on Mary, Mother of the Incarnation, Um, I need to get the flyer to read it all to you. I'll I'll try at the next break if I can bring it up again. But to begin with, it's Spokane, Washington, June 1st to the 4th. June 1st to June 4th. I'll be flying out on the um, um, 31st and coming back on the 5th. So the conference itself is Tuesday through Friday. And you're welcome to attend any part of it or all of it in Spokane, Washington, um, and the hotels still have rooms, and um, it's an absolutely magnificent conference. And so next week, we're going to be r- r- running an encore of a series I did on um, on gender, um, uh, this awful situation we're facing today. And so we'll be doing encores all of next week. Um, but those programs haven't been run for a long, long time. We we did them a long time ago in Tulsa, so most of you maybe have never heard it. Um, so we'll do that next week, and uh, again, I'll try to get more information. But if you can just look up, if you want more information on the conference, um, uh, look up sacredliturgyconference.org. That's it, one word, sacredliturgyconference.org. Put in 2021, and you'll get this year's conference in Spokane, Washington. Absolutely. Um, It's absolutely wonderful. And if any of you, um, there's already one young lady that wants to enter uh, our community or wants to discern that. And she's going to be meeting me at the conference. So if any of you go to the conference and want to meet or speak about a vocation or anything else, I'll be happy to meet you. I'll be there all week. So, all right, we'll go back to our article now on the Day of Pentecost um, by Father uh, Wenninger uh, from, eight, I think, 1897. It could be a different date, but it's 1800s. Um, I'll continue where we left off. But the sinner, when he falls into the depths, despises. These are the words of the Holy Ghost, and it is the constant aim of the evil one to drag him into such fathomless depths that at last he cares not whether he is saved or not. Day and night goes about his spirit of malice, seeking uh, whom he may confirm in malice, Yet do not lose courage, beloved, in Christ, even though he should induce you to sin, call upon God, repent, and you can regain what you have lost. But to prevent this devil, uh, to prevent this, the devil will try to ruin you with his seven vile gifts, entirely different to those of the Spirit of Light. And the first gift of the Holy Spirit is from God, from the Holy Spirit, the first gift is the fear of the Lord, which casts out all other fear, save that of offending God, and confirms the Christian in all that is good, and leads him on to the practice of every virtue, and brings him at last life. Now what course does Satan pursue to confirm and strengthen the sinner in malice? He first first seeks to persuade him that sin is only a pardonable weakness, so trifling indeed that unless temporal loss is connected therewith, it is not worth even a thought. He fills his heart with human respect so that a craven fear makes him prefer displeasing God to offending man. Woe to the unhappy beings to whom Satan bestows this disposition, for they are confirmed in malice and sin. The second disposition of the soul which leads to salvation is fervor in prayer, union with God, a perpetual remembrance of his holy presence. Satan strives to animate the soul with feelings the very reverse, until prayer becomes so distasteful to man that at last he entirely neglects it, does not even think of God, but like an irrational animal, goes through the world, caring only for the companionship of men as wicked or perhaps more so than himself. Woe to the wretch who lives in this total neglect of prayer, for he is confirmed by Satan in his service probably forever. Hold on. Oh, these are grim writings, beloved. And I want to say to you that it's never too late to repent. It is never too late to repent. It is never too late. Satan wants to confirm each one of us in his service forever. But it is never too late to repent. The longer we are away from God, the more difficult it's going to be. But it's always possible to cry out to God like a sinking man and drowning and scream for his help. The third disposition of the heart which assures us of perseverance in virtue is knowledge, that heavenly knowledge which teaches us that our eternal salvation and the most fitting means to attain it should be kept constantly in view as the most important and only really essential affair for the faithful child of the church and for every man on earth. But Satan seeks to ensnare him in the net of earthly desires and schemes, even as the spider keeps the fly moving its little feet and wings until at length it can move him no more. Men thus become so entangled in worldly affairs that they lose power to act for the good of their souls and even grow spiritually blind so as to think they are acting a most wise and prudent part. Woe to that sinner who is thus entangled by Satan and held fast in the thraldom of temporal cares for he will be dragged hither and thither at the will of this spirit of evil and prevented from using the heavenly means by which he might escape from the toils. The fourth gift of the Holy Ghost to confirm and strengthen us in good is counsel. It so disposes the soul that the recipient can discern how he can best labor, not only for his own salvation, but also for the welfare of others, advising them how to advance in the science of the saints. But Satan is a rebellious spirit whose delight it is to fish in troubled waters. If thereby he can deprive the sinner of the assistance of divine grace, thus rendering him confused and helpless, what more is needed to confirm him in sin? Think of Judas. When Satan took possession of him, of Judas, He knew no more what to do. And even on that day, when Jesus offered himself for the salvation of mankind, he gave way to the blackest despair. The fifth gift of the Holy Ghost is fortitude, which enables us to persevere in good to the end. Lucifer, on his part, leaves nothing untried, to shake this celestial courage which inspires the Christian which, with the most heroic resolves. He seeks to turn him from the path of right and leads him and leads him to abuse the graces bestowed upon him by a merciful God. When the sinner seeks forgiveness in the sacrament of penance, he attempts him the Satan attempts that sinner to relapse after which his confirmation in evil is easy. Alas, for the relapsing sinner who thinks he has no cause for fear, excuse me, beloved, I'll repeat that sentence. Alas, for the relapsing sinner who thinks he has no cause for fear because he has confessed his sins and received absolution for them, that is a fatal delusion which will lead to final impenitence. Constant relapses weaken his will and confirm him forever in the service of hell. The sixth gift of the Holy Ghost by which the children of the Church are confirmed in good is that living faith by which man is not satisfied to confess his belief with the lips and merely through habit or to fulfill his religious duties because he has been so taught, but which makes him do it from an inward consciousness of the dignity of his vocation as a child of God and of the admonitions to that divine grace which he never resists and which invites him to lead the life of a zealous Christian and obtain eternal bliss." But Satan, beloved, tries to weaken the influence of faith upon the life of man or to destroy it entirely. He, too, often succeeds so that many who exteriorly many who exteriorly lead lives in conformity with the requirements of the church give themselves no trouble as to how they stand before God and what they can answer on the day of terror and doom at the judgment seat pardon me, at the judgment seat of Christ. There they must account for graces neglected, by which if they had availed themselves of them, they would have attained the most exquisite joy in heaven. Alas, for the Catholic whom Satan can persuade that faith alone is sufficient for salvation, that because he is Catholic, he will never be lost He is confirmed by the spirit of darkness, whoever thinks those things. He is confirmed by the spirit of darkness and belongs to those of whom it has been written and the children of the house will be cast out. Okay. We are at our very last disposition, the seventh, which we will conclude tomorrow, beloved. Um... Hold on a minute. We will go to our break now, and we will take your calls, your emails, your texts, whatever's on your heart, beloved. It never needs to be what we're speaking about. The toll-free number to call in is 1-877-511-5483, and we'll be right back. Don't go away.
2: Thank you for
3: helping to save the culture. My name is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. Our goal is to help people experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change their life. The Catholic Church teaches us that the Liturgy of the Hours is the prayer that Christ Himself, together with his body addresses to the Father and that its purpose is to sanctify each day in the whole range of human activity. That means every time we pray this prayer, our relationship with Christ is deepened, we are united to the faithful of every time and place, and our entire day and work are made holy unto the Lord. To learn more about the prayer of the Church, please visit liturgyofthehours.org or call our retreat center at 814-676-1910.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Mary and Live. This is our half hour all to ourselves, anything that's on your heart. Uh, call in toll-free, 877 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from Kathy who says, Dear Mother, does God sp- still speak to us in dreams as he did in the lives of Joseph of the Old Testament and St. Joseph? Um, Thank you for all your guidance, and God bless you, Kathy. I think the answer is yes, Kathy. We don't always know that. We don't always know when or how. Um, Often God does that in these days, but he yet does speak to people in dreams. There's an entire film of God speaking to Muslims in their dreams, and they've converted to the Catholic Church. Um, It's quite powerful, and I have it, but it's in Tulsa yet, and I don't have it with me. So, yes, God does that. Blessed be his name. Um, Okay. Um, We have an email from Tony, um, who says, Mother, I am a Protestant, and I'm seriously considering conversion. Oh, I'm so thrilled, Tony. I am asking questions and doing some research. I am shocked to hear Catholics have so many opinions on basic things. Should not followers of the one and only church have the same opinion? No, I know your email goes on, but let me stop to answer it right there, Tony. No, they shouldn't necessarily have the same opinion. Um, Opinions vary, but faith cannot so when they're speaking of matters of faith and morals that the Catholic Church teaches that do not change, that must be believed by every Catholic in order to be Catholic, there's no p- opinions involved here. They must believe and speak the same things. Um, again, if they are incidental and they're not important, they're not doctrinal issues, then people have different opinions and and that may be... Um, A concern, of course, but um faith does is not up to opinion. Tony goes on, When it comes to our Blessed Virgin Mary, I've been told that Catholics do not pray to Mary. Of course we do. Of course we pray to Mary. Um they venerate Mary, this is true. But we pray to her. My goodness, what is the Hail Mary? Of course we pray to her. On the other hand, I was told that Catholics do pray to Mary because she is Jesus' mother and Jesus will do what his mother tells him. That's fine, but that's not why we pray to Mary. Uh, Which one is it? By the way, I do believe Mary is much more important than the typical Protestant opinion. Good. I'll answer that before I go on to the next paragraph. We do pray to Mary and we venerate Mary. And the reason we pray to Mary is not because she is subject to her. her son is subject to her, but because God has given us the gift of praying to the saints. Charles Wesley, who established the Methodist denomination, broke off from the Catholic Church. And he wrote the song, The Church's, the Church, uh, the Church's Apostrophe S, Possessive. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And it goes on. And the third stanza says, and again, Charles Wesley, the Methodist, said this, but we on earth have union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. We believe that there's communion between earth, purgatory, and heaven. Um, so that we can pray for we don't pray for the saints in heaven. For, we don't pray for them; they're perfected and they don't need our prayers. But we pray to them, asking for their prayers without any question. Um, James says the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and there's no more righteous man than those than than anyone yet in already in heaven, free from sin, free from its power, free from its presence. Um, We have the communion of saints on earth, the church militant, in purgatory, the church suffering, in heaven, the church triumphant. And um, Apostle Paul admonishes us to pray for all men everywhere. Look at 2 Timothy, Um, uh, and he says, "Christ, we pray for all men everywhere because Christ is the Uh, the one mediator uh, between God and man, he is. And because he is the mediator between God and man, we pray to Jesus and our prayers go to the Father. There's no way to the Father but through the Son. And we pray, Paul says, for kings and uh, uh, magistrates and rulers everywhere. We pray for one another um, and we pray for them, but we um, also ask those in heaven to pray for us just as the Maccabees did um, in the Old Testament. Um, Because there's communion. There is the communion of saints, and those in heaven and in purgatory can pray for us. Um, And we can pray for those in purgatory. We can help one another. To pray for all men everywhere never ceases. It never ceases at physical death. It goes on. Once we're no longer in our bodies, our spirits are free. And we can communicate and we are in Christ and all communication is through Christ. So yes, we pray to Mary, we do. We ask her to assist us. We ask her to help us to love her son more, to grow into deeper union with him because there's no one uh, who loves uh, her son more than the mother. Um, And there's no one There's no greater shortcut to Christ than to go through Mary. Another paragraph here from Tony. I find great peace in praying the divine chaplet of mercy. That's beautiful, Tony. Now Catholics are telling me that it is of the devil. You know what? I came into the church, Tony, and there were three generations of Catholics lost to the faith. Any Catholic who tells you that the chaplet of divine mercy is of the devil, they themselves are being influenced by the devil. The Church has approved the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and um, and uh, approved all the writings in the diary of St. Faustina. Uh, That's why she's saint now. And if you read her diary, God has given her the chaplet of Divine Mercy in that diary. He has ordered it to be prayed. He has ordered um, Divine Mercy Sunday. So whoever is telling you um, that it's of the devil, uh, they may call themselves Catholics, but they don't know their faith. And Tony says, they say the painting is of Satan and St. Faustina was possessed. They're not Catholic. They are not Catholic. The church has canonized St. Faustina. She is a saint. Um, And the painting is not of Satan. He says, Tony says, I point out to these Catholics that Faustina is a saint. Good for you. They say Pope John Paul II was a heretic to make her a saint, and someday a good pope will fix this. What is your opinion? My opinion of this matter, Tony, is that the Catholics you're speaking to might be, um, uh, let me just say, Seda Um Seta meaning seat, and Vacantis meaning vacant, meaning the seat uh, of the pope is vacant. There is no pope on the throne of Peter. They don't believe that, they do believe, these setificantists, they are outside the church, they call themselves Catholic, but they're not. They think the rest of us are not. They are not Catholic, and they believe John Paul II was a heretic, not just to make St. Faustina saint, but to even be a pope, that he wasn't a true pope. So you're speaking to the wrong Catholics, Tony. Uh, They are outside the church. Tony says, I do feel a pull on my heart from God that Protestantism does not offer all that my soul needs, but how can I join a church when the faithful are in such disagreement? Tony, uh, well, the people you're speaking to are not the faithful. They're outside the church. Whoever believes that John Paul II was not was a heretic is outside the church. And so go, find yourself a different group of Catholics. Go to... If you're, you're, you might be in an SSPS church, or you, um, I don't think so, because they they are, they believe that John Paul II was truly the Pope. They believe St. Francis is the Pope, but they're in schism. Um, But the set of um, Akantists, radical, radical traditionalists, are separated from the church, and you need to find yourself other Catholics. If you're going to their church and to a Latin mass, Look for a Latin Mass that is um, uh, part of the SSPX. I don't mean SSPX, excuse me. They're the ones in schism that are in um, uh, the Society of St. Peter. Um, society, F-S-S-P. F is in Frank for fraternity, F-S-S-P, it is the, society, the Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter. They are traditional, they have the traditional Mass, and they are 100% faithful to the Church and uh, to the recognition of St. Faustina. So that's it, Tony. I would suggest you read a book um, called um, The Spirit of Catholicism by Carl Adam. The Spirit of Catholicism. By Carl Adam. It's the number one book out of 200 that led me into the church. It is a picture of 13th century Catholicism prior to Protestantism, prior to the Reformation, where the church went to church. They didn't go to church to fellowship, to wear their best Sunday clothes. They did that in honor of God, but they didn't go to meet their friends or anything. They went, they were the church, and they went to church to worship Christ, period. To worship Christ. And they stopped at noon at the Angelus Bells, went on their knees, and prayed the Angelus. I read that book, Tony, and I said, where is it? Where's that church? I want that church. Not easy to find today, but it is the Catholic Church. So go to a, a faithful fraternity of the Society of St. Peter Catholic Church. And if you find a Novus Ordo Church instead, a more modern church since Vatican II, um, you will be uh, with Catholic people, but there's all varieties of Nova Soto churches, and um, uh, a number of people have lost their faith. So it's hard to tell you where to go. If you will call Catholic Answers, catholic.com, Catholic Catholic Answers, um, and ask to speak to an apologist, tell them what city you're in, and they may be able to direct you to a good Catholic Church and or priest. Okay. Um, we have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Dear Mother, are we allowed to attend a St. Pius X Mass? A local priest said we could. What do you say? Thank you and God bless you for your ministry. I say no. Um and you'll find many beautiful SSPX churches, you will. But um, uh, Ka- uh, Cardinal Burke, uh, top canonist of the church, um, uh, says they are in schism. And I'm no one to judge. Uh, I can't judge what a canon lawyer can. And so there are many who think they're not in schism. Um, they, they, they did come into schism, And the excommunication was lifted by Pope Benedict on two of their uh, leaders, but not on the society itself. A little confusing, but they are in schism, and you, you may not go. If there is no Catholic Church around of any kind that you can get to, the nearest Catholic Church is three hours away, you can go and receive Communion. From an SSPX church, but it cannot become your regular home parish. Okay, there's the music for our last break, beloved, and we will be back right after the break and have about 10 to 15 minutes to take your calls, your emails, your texts, with anything on your heart. Call in toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. We'll be right back.
2: The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year.
4: Hi, this is Jim Roy, President of the Station of the Cross. Thank you to everyone who donated to our on-air appeal. Because of your generosity, we are over 90% of our Spring Appeal goal. And if we reach our goal by the Feast of Corpus Christi on June 6th, a generous benefactor will give us an additional $20,000. If you were not able to support the on-air appeal, please help us now and receive our great Spring Appeal gifts. With your support, we'll be able to reach our goal and continue to provide you with the very best in Catholic programming. To make a donation, call 1-877-711-8500 or visit thestationofthecross.com, use the donation page of your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or return the envelope from one of our mailings. You can also view our giving levels and spring appeal gifts by visiting thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for helping us continue to be a voice of truth. And may God bless you and your family.
0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSight News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. I'm thrilled to be with you. There's still time to call in, if you wish, with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at com. One moment. Okay. We have an email. Let's see now. Um... From Jennifer, who says, How do I reconcile having childlike trust, but also never being certain that I'm in a place where I would go to heaven? Those are two totally different things, um, and they cannot be reconciled. Um, The only way to be certain that you're in a place where you will go to heaven is to trust the church's teaching, which isn't childlike, that's it's adult-like. You need to trust in the church's teaching that if you are in a state of grace, when you die, you will go to heaven. That's the teaching. We do not have the assurance of salvation as Protestants speak of. No matter what I do, I ask Jesus into my heart and I'm going to be in heaven. That's utterly false. Um <clears throat> But we do have the moral assurance, the moral assurance that if we're not in mortal sin, if we die in a state of grace, we will go to heaven. And the way to have a little more confidence in that is to live in a state of grace, Um, and and that's it. So if you're living in a state of grace, if you're um, frequenting the sacraments and confession and you're not hiding sin or anything like that, there's no reason why you would not go to heaven unless you turn from God, which is always possible. But if you study your faith and you live and you pray and you're in a state of grace, you can have the assurance that you're going to heaven. So it's not a childlike trust that you're going to heaven because your trust is not in that. Your trust is in the teaching of the church that if you're in a state of grace, you will go to heaven. That's where childlike trust comes, and it's kind of an adult faith to understand the church's teaching, but a child can understand that. Your trust needs to be utterly in the teaching of the church. Um, That's the childlike trust in your love for Jesus and his teaching. Um, And again, if you live according to um, all that our Lord has taught us if you're in a state of grace um, or you're, you go to confession when you sin y- there is no reason for you to fear that you will not be in heaven we never take it for granted but um, we're all desiring of heaven God has put that desire in our hearts and he wants to complete the work in us that he's begun there should never be any fear a right fear of God is good But that's the fear that will send us to the confessional and help us to reform our lives so that we live and walk in a state of grace. And then when we die, even if it's unexpected, we will go to heaven. We have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, hello, Mother Miriam. I love listening to your show. Thank you for all you do to love and guide us all. Thank you, dear. And she says, I'm writing to you as I would like guidance. I think I know already what to do, but would like to hear from someone else, I think because the answer is a bit disappointing. I am a homeschooling mom to my two boys. I have a daughter already gone off to college. My son plays the trumpet and enjoys it very much. I have found a homeschool co-op that has a little band that he could play with and have an opportunity to perform and play with a group. This co-op requires all of its members to sign a statement of faith in order to participate. We would not be participating with the co-op, only the band portion of it. I have seen them rehearse, and there is no prayer or anything that is contrary to our Catholic faith. When they meet in that setting, however... While I can agree with some of their statement of faith, I cannot or do not understand it all. I am wondering if it's okay to sign it just to say, quote, I hear you, I understand you, and will not interfere with what you have going on, end quote, and participate in the band, or if by signing it, I am saying strictly, this is what I believe, which is a problem, as I do not. Yes, it is a problem, There, one. That's That's what um, you were afraid would be disappointing. You would be lying. You would be lying. And she goes on to say, um, or he, I don't know who's writing this, I do not wish to deny my Catholic faith in any way. Well, you will by signing such a statement like that. I am attaching a copy of this statement of faith for you to see. And she says the section... I have a real problem with is the final authority for matters of belief and conduct section. It sounds like they believe in sola scriptura and that their leadership will be the final interpretive authority on the Bible's meaning and application. They're Protestant, they're one. They're Protestant, they're not Catholic. She says, I'm not really sure what they mean by that, except that if you wish to challenge interpretations of the Bible, they will have the final say." Now again, we are only interested in band, but not any religious instruction or anything else, so this should not be a problem. Yes, it is a problem. I can understand in these times why they would want us to know where they stand on the issues of gender, marriage, sexuality, and I agree, I'm just a bit confused, I guess. With your loving kindness, I will have all confidence. Thank you. Well... The fact is, dear one, that they are Protestant and you may not sign any statement of faith or belief with them. And the fact is, if they ask you to sign it, even though you just want to be part of the band, you're being part of a group uh, that believes what you don't believe. You will be denying your faith. You will be lying. And this should not be a disappointing answer for you because you should want what's best for your son. What's best for your son is a solid Catholic group. What's best for your son is to learn that it's never right to lie like that. Um, So it's not a disappointing answer. The true answer will make your son more of a godly man. If there's any way that you and your son could reach out to Catholics and begin a little band, that would be ideal if you can do that. so that he'll have a Catholic band, not in a Protestant group, but just have people get together and have a band, and it should be Catholic. If it's mixed Catholic and Protestant, the leadership needs to be Catholic, so that the influence is Catholic. Um, it could be mixed, but it still needs to be Catholic leadership, Catholic prayers, Catholic ideals. Okay. Um we have a text from someone who writes it anonymously and says, Hello, Mother Miriam, I understand the importance of ecumenism among the Christian churches, but why is Protestantism not considered to be a heresy? Or is it, but the church does not want to come right out and say it for fear of offending? Well, no, uh, the church has come out and said it. it's heresy, there's no question. Uh, anyone who doesn't believe what is said in the C- Council of Trent, which was put together to um, counter the Reformation, uh, the Council of Trent says, "Let him be anathema because it's a heresy." It is people today, uh, bishops, priests, uh, individuals who who don't want to speak the truth because I'm okay, you're okay, and they don't want to offend. They think it's a form of evangelism, and it's not. It's a form of lying and showing non-Catholics that we are not strong in our faith. We need to apologize. We need to compromise. Why would they want to join anything like that? Absolutely not. Um, Protestantism is a heresy. I was in it for 18 years not knowing so, and I bless God for the Protestants who led me to Christ and the God who led me further to his church. We'll speak with you tomorrow.